Hoop Dreams, the podcast, an Unlearning Network production. We got this thing we want to do with you, man. It's called Halftime. And we're going to hit you with some quick hitters before we jump into uh, your, your Hollywood life. So uh, I'm gonna hit you with some. I'm gonna hit you with some questions. Ag gonna hit you with some questions. So let me jump this thing off with this one. I'm gonna say some shows, and you tell me which one that you are watching: Family okay. Feud or The Price Is Right. Uh, what's the third option? <laughs> that is. We gonna move on. That is. <laughs> no, I feel like like I love I love the idea of like sitting down and watching the game show. That sounds like amazing but that's just not what life looks like right now like two kids and all the sports and all the stuff i'm trying to do with work and trying to be a decent guy you know it's just like it's there's so much i would love to sit down and watch both of those like back to back maybe but it's just yeah it just doesn't fit in right now i got you well then i'm gonna bring it home then make it yeah. look closer original <laughs> dynasty or the new dynasty it's interesting i think the original is kind of the first of that like shock and awe TV yeah. where it's like that first kind of for me what you know just uh for myself uh feeling like I gotta like tune in next fall and and was not allowed to watch TV in, in my house growing up um, wow so that's probably why I moved here like I showed them but because my dad was a professor and was like read if you have free time you read if you're not reading you're outside working on your game or whatever so mm -hmm. um but dynasty was something that my my mom was just into so it was like I guess I'm watching this Absolutely. But oddly, like, you know, so, but it was, yeah, so into those kind of pop twists. I like that. Yeah. It was like that for me, too. It was like that for me, too. Yeah. The original Mission Impossible or the $6 million man. Come on, Jason. <laughs> Come on, Jason. I mean, I feel like Cruz does his own stunts or wants everyone to think he does, which I respect. So I think that, I, I mean, and the franchise alone, it's, <laughs> huge. Like it's huge. A lot of them, but but um, you, didn't, you didn't want to be the bionic man. I mean, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but like I said, like I managed maybe my expectations. I got what you. I could. Like, I can't do that. So I guess I why you. why even go there? Right, 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 right. I feel you on that one. I feel you on that one. All right, let's bring a little comedy into it. The Jamie Foxx right. show or Martin. Martin is so good, so sharp. Yeah, yeah. But Fox like did everything. Yeah, he I mean, did. I feel like if you loved like that sharp, quick, it's Martin. But if you wanted to watch someone just sit down on a piano and be captivating, or be dramatic, or be funny, or be whatever, it's Fox. You know, it's just he's so versatile and well rounded. Uh, man. I think Fox. Triple I gotta threat. Say Fox. Yeah, yeah, triple threat. Sure. Man, triple threat. Yeah. And my, my last one, man: Secession or Billions. Succession. Like, <laughs> he jumped right like on that Real quick. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, I, I think just, and Billions, I think, does it in a really, really great way as well. But uh, the ability to get you to root for and like the most despicable, mean-spirited people on the planet mm -hmm. and feel for them and, like, root for them mm -hmm. as a writer is just so compelling and um, is such a difficult thing to balance and do. And that cast draws you in in a way where you feel for them. It's it's uh, it's really amazing. Yeah. 
all that show. Billions not good no more. Is this Axe went to jail? Oh, got it. <laughs> they got you know Axe got, got it. it. They cut Axe. Well, it feels like that's like what they were building to. So I maybe don't have to watch it since you you just said what happens in it. Right, right. right. <laughs> maybe I'll skip spoiler that. alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert! Jason, yeah. rank rank these shows in order of your favorite. Okay. Narcos, Snowfall, Queen of the South, Top Boy, The Wire. I mean, The Wire, top. And Brandon McLaren, who you guys talked to, is a very close Brandon friend of J. mine. Brandon J. Which yeah, makes right. me want to put Snowfall farther down. But it's, <laughs> but it's hard to. Right, hard to right. That. I would say that's second. And, and I like Queen of the South just because it was like, I like stuff where um, it's out of the norm. And so the fact that it was a woman in a predominantly male-driven cartel lifestyle that she's just like unapologetically uh, who she is and uh, doesn't back down from anybody, I felt was really cool at a time where uh, that's more and more important. I think, you know, so um, I think that's in there. Maybe because I don't remember the other ones. (laughs) That's just my top three. Yeah, that, the other ones was yeah. Top Boy and Narcos. And Narcos kind of similar, I think, to why I like Succession. So maybe mm-hmm. those two mm-hmm. kind of fall around the same. Uh-huh. Uh, but I love just like the ability to kind of drop into a world that I don't know and feel yeah. that it feels authentic and you feel like you're just riding next to mm-hmm. someone that you can't imagine what that life is like, but it just pulls you in a really cool way. Who was your favorite character that you've written for? Not Brandon McLaren. <laughs> not Brandon McLaren. Very difficult McLaren. on set. Very difficult. No, he's he's great. Like, um, it's interesting. Like, and truly, like someone like him is is like the best of it to me because it's someone who shows up prepared all the time and has real passion for what he's doing. And you know, I think a lot of times, like anyone's com- not complaining, but like having notes on something or asking about something that's kind of perceived as difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, it's like, it shows that you care about your performance and you want it to be what the writers were thinking, what the director has in mind. And so I think like, um, but he's someone who's like so professional, but um, um, Ellen Pompeo, who just like uh, from mm-hmm. Grey's was fantastic. Like that, that whole cast over there, Chandra um, Kevin, like uh, it, it's just that whole cast is amazing. They, turn around each week and, and make it feel compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a great cast. Um, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint. I don't know. It's, it's and me, like I, I just love the process, I think. And so anyone that's like about that and not about drama and just about showing up and working hard, I'm with for sure. All right, Red Ranger, you're getting a lot of love today. Jason giving yeah. you a lot of love today. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for my... Like, it looks like we got posters and hats. Like, I can't wait for my yeah. swag to show up. Yeah, so yeah. You're going to get, a, you're get a swag bag. I can't wait. You're get a swag bag. Nice. Yeah, that'll be nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Jason, yeah. what are your three shows you are watching right now? If you have time, when you have time. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, uh, Succession, just in terms of just, like, studying how they craft their stories and, and how they, like, I love that twist and turns you don't see coming. And euphoria i feel like it's just like okay. so visceral like it, it it's i like stuff that makes me feel 
like uncomfortable or happy Mm -hmm. in an extreme way. And that show is just like you typically would cut out of a scene. I feel like that show makes you sit there for another 10 minutes through the rest of it (laughs) where normally they would cut out. And it's just uh, that cast is so amazing and just was really, I think, informed the type of shows that I'm developing um, where you can take some that traditionally you wouldn't like in succession and uh, make you root for them or euphoria and like really not sugarcoat what kids are maybe going through today right. and not shying away from that real ex- authentic experience because it's maybe objectionable or offensive mm-hmm. or whatever it is, but that's what they're dealing with. Um, you know, and so I like shows that approach that it, it, in that terms and so those like stand out for sure. I love that. I, I, how old are your kids? Uh, I just turned turned eleven and nine this past month. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was gonna say I'm surprised that you didn't name a kids show because you know when you when you got you got young kids. I mean, those are on such a loop. I mean, those. <laughs> yes. If I liked any of those at the beginning, that's gone by now for sure. Like, yes, yes. Those yes. like theme songs and like one liners. That's all we hear now. So it's like. Right. And just finding TV time, right? Like, so, you know, you have a full house. It's just finding time to sit down and watch. And, like, I'm a sports guy, so, like, that's a little bit way to unwind. And it's hard to watch shows without, and, like, turn off the brain and just kind of enjoy it without trying to figure out what they're doing or where they're going or um, trying to break it down. So, like, sports for me is, like, that that kind of uh, escape. That's 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 where you, yeah. you you full time parents are still at. See, you know, yeah. minds are gone and grown. So that's yeah. that's, that's you and AG. So uh, yeah. a director you like to write for, and an actor you like to write for. Um. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I like writing for Kevin McKidd at Gray's, uh, okay. who directs a ton of those episodes of the show and is obviously on the show. Um, but I love his approach. Uh, having done so many, still pushes to find creative ways to shoot a hallway that's been shot for 18 years. <laughs> that same right. hall, you know, so it's really... Uh, and we moved the camera in really interesting ways and uh, was just like so so collaborative to work with and 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 for and, and kind of molding it as it goes um, mm-hmm. he was always really, really great and there's a handful of, of um, men and women kind of that fall into that uh, for me I think after yeah because you know what I'm still trying to figure out how the hell on Graceland the outside world don't know about this compound <laughs> I mean, they're very, they're very good at what they did. They're very, like, what the uh, hell is going over at, at that beach sly. house? <laughs> and what's with all the guns going yeah, in that Right, life? right. Um, I'm just walking and- my dog. I'm just walking my dog, man. So- <laughs> I know, here's the thing. Like, you guys asked for, like, my favorites, but, like, I have to go back into the world and then right. get asked why they weren't someone I mentioned. Like, that's, like, I, I still have to go back out there and like right right they be like hey jason i seen you on the og podcast yeah. man what the fuck's up yeah. with that man i can't i can't name that but yeah <laughs> okay let's jump on your music yeah. jason who you listening to right now on your playlist 
Um, I like old stuff, like like old hip hop. Like, oh, like you're nineties, nineties, nineties hip hop for I, sure. Nineties is the best hip hop, and even like um, like fifty, like I like that, like in the two thousands, just like more of that old older stuff, I guess. Which yeah. is funny because you'll be out like somewhere and you'll hear it now again. It's like uh-huh. hits you how old we are. Or it's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's ironic now that you're playing this. It's not that it's good, you know. So it's like it's funny that stuff comes back around. But um, and then just like background, like I like background, like I'll, I'll write some music, but it's like nothing that is too distracting. Okay, um, throwing like some lo-fi beats, just like um, nice hotel music probably mm-hmm. you know just that that's in the background um uh so i'll, I'll do that a lot and uh yeah, I, there's like a that. lot there's a lot of olivia rodrigo in that like both mm-hmm. my daughters play um mm-hmm. piano and guitar and so i play guitar and so that's on repeat in the house a lot um olivia rodrigo so, so they're keeping me hip so let me tell you what i just heard ag uh-huh. He writing songs. He got an album coming out shortly. That's all I heard oh, him say. Sure. Uh, for right, sure. Right. Absolutely. Dad sure. manager, I'm playing. Yeah. I'm writing. Yeah. And and he's recruiting his kids with him. That's what I heard. I'm waiting for them to right. take over. Right. I'm tired. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Jason, give me your two most memorable theme songs from a TV show. Like Cheers. Was all like Cheers. Classic. Seinfeld. Seinfeld for me was just like. Like you heard that, the bum, 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 it just you just knew it was gonna be a good time. Like, and um, just yeah, I, I like those two. <laughs> let me let me tell you the one that I love the thing. I love the TV show, but I hate it when it used to come on. Uh, Mash because it, yeah, it was always yeah. on 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 <laughs> Sunday night, and you knew it was time All to right. go to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, it came on after the news, right? Right, yeah. Um, the the A team was dope. I thought that mm. was like and like the Fall Guy. Like I'm like a like uh, grew up. I think with all those kind of car driven shows. Knight Rider was dope. Like and so I think that kind of formed like a huge like like love cars and automobiles. You know. And so I think maybe just growing up with all those. But I feel like those intros were so good. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Fall Guy and Knight Rider and all those. <laughs> well, Jason, man, we appreciate you doing halftime with us. You graduated from from high school, from college. You're in California, man. Tell us what happened. I mean, how did you get into writing? How did show business become the goal for you? Yeah, um, I think writing was always kind of pushed by my dad and and um, pushed against it so hard. Just as mm-hmm. kids, that's what we do. I think. Um, and then in college, um, had a had a English and uh, um, a writing class that I just took to and just um, loved that process and, and loved being able to start a conversation about something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have an have a um, opinion and that it can be discussed and isn't necessarily the opinion. Um, and so that for me was kind of the first kind of spark of it. Uh, and I, the, in this English class, uh, this guy in the basketball team and I would go to Taco Bell and buy a bean burrito and a hard taco and like open the bean burrito and put the hard taco inside of it and like fold it back up. So it was like the double decker kind of now and was in that English class. And like the, we were writing this persuasive piece 
on like the death penalty and like all these like really big kind of topics. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what if I follow like all the rules and write this persuasive piece on building the Baracko, which we called it, not as good as double decker uh, like for that, branding, <laughs> but the Baracko. So I like followed all the rules and like wrote, here's why you should try it. Here's how you make it. Here's why it's worth doing. And, and just got to see me on the top of paper from the mm-hmm. professor and like needed the class. I was like, fuck. Like he's probably thinking I'm just like fucking around and like, <laughs> and just went in. And it was just like, this is the best persuasive piece I've ever read. And it was just like, oh shit. Right. Like, and so to have that worry of like, oh, he might, you know, I just fucked this up, but right. got, and it's like that noise that we were talking about earlier of like, he could have shot that down there yep. and said, you just dr- failed this class. I told you to do this thing on a big topic. You chose this. But instead, like nurtured that, whatever that was that I was doing. And that for sure was a huge influence on wanting to write. Um, and just that you can take an assignment and turn it on its head like that and still do well, but do it from a different way and different perspective. And I think I've been kind of chasing that idea right. with like stuff I'm trying to create and do and make. Um, on my own that's taking traditional things a little bit and coming at from from a different angle so I think that's okay. how that's kind of where that came from and then uh you know not going like i said didn't go to film school was in school for business and didn't have contacts down in la it, w- it wasn't a traditional route for you no not at all yeah and you know got the speech of why i shouldn't do it and then um just came down and would sneak onto the lots uh, and pass out my resume to like, known a lot. like at, at like universal, there's like all these like little bungalows with all the production houses. And so I kind of found if you wore a sport coat and yeah. like had a phone up to your ear and just walk quickly, like people didn't want to interrupt you or stop you. And like you acknowledge them. Uh-huh. So it's not like you're sneaking by them, but you're like, I see you, right. but I'm too busy to stop. So I gotta right, go. Right. And so just did that and like would get kicked out half the time. And then the other half, people like, that's cool. And we'll just take it. And if we have something, we'll call you. And, and just kind of did that for a while, you know, and did that and, and was lucky to get on shows around great supportive people and uh, would serve coffee and deliver scripts around LA and uh, to, to actors' homes before, uh, not before the internet, but before they wanted to use the internet, maybe right. Uh, right. to open up a script. But like, so we were driving around town with them. But uh, yeah, I just kind of kept clawing down that path, um, and essentially got film school. I think being an assistant for four or five years before getting that kind of break was um, feet on the ground kind of school for me, uh, and saw it from the bottom up. And I think it served uh, me well since then. Uh, seeing how everything works and seeing what it means to put a script out late at night for everyone else involved and what they have to do after that point where we go home, it's like they're there for so many hours prepping. Um, and so just being aware of that, uh, having gone through it, I think has helped serve me in kind of how I approach my job in, in a lot right. of ways. But, but at the time it was tough as you see all your friends in their careers and doing well and, you're serving coffee for 450 bucks a week. It's just like, um, it's a grind, but, um, it's just that mentality of keeping your head down. And I think the running and the basketball 
and what it takes to push yourself past that point where you want to stop um, that right. athletes do every day. It's just like that applies to so many things in life. And if you're able to kind of push when you're tired, um, it's at some point, like you'll get an opportunity, I think, like if you're willing mm-hmm. to put in that work. And if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Um, our patient, I think there are opportunities, you know. Yeah. Jason, if I was you and you kicked off them lots, I would have just been lying my butt off. I would have been like, hey, man, I'm the gaffer on uh, Modern Family. I'm just walking. <laughs> I'm over. I, I had to go get some out of somebody's car. Next day, they try to kick me off the lot. Hey, I'm hey, I'm the lighting director. I'm the assistant lighting director yeah. over here on uh, Lot B. Yeah, we sh- yeah, we shooting over there today. But that gets you put on a list. See, you would have been on a list and only been able to do that once. <laughs> me, I knew I had to come back the next day. I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Right. Like, just play like, dumb. Damn, me back. You're starting to I must fight. get a good like, job. You're like, Give me your superiors. I'm the guy. Like you're, you're blowing that place up. <laughs> Day one. <laughs> speak, speak, speaking oh, of man. that, were there days that you didn't want to come back, and how did you overcome that? For sure, yeah, for sure. I think like, um, you know how to ex a girlfriend be like, but what are you gonna do really for like a career? Like I got that talk, you know, where it, and oh, you yeah. see people around you. It's just like but are you just going to serve coffee and scripts and be, and do that? You know, it's like, and it's yeah. hard, like when people you care about are now wavering, you know, cause it's, it's one thing you yeah. come down and you just like step into a thing and it happens all the time. And yeah. it happens where people go 20 years and just haven't had that shot. And it has yeah. nothing to do with talent. It's just like you walk into that room and you're prepared for what they ask for. Like it's the mm-hmm. work you do, but it's, outside of that you can't really control it and so it was hard for sure hearing people around me suddenly start to waver um yeah. on it and then like kind of shortly after that got my first break in writing mm-hmm. but um like got my real estate license i think at that point a little bit because that creeps in more and more when people you care about right are like but what are you really doing with your life like mm-hmm. how are you gonna like uh, pay for shit. <laughs> like, um, right. but a good question, you know, at the time it was so offensive, but like, you know, um, they're good questions and stuff that certainly I was, um, denying, you know, at the time maybe, and like, just not allowing myself to kind of let that seep in because yeah. it's a distraction and you don't have that motivation. Yep. And so if you don't have that, it just becomes so hard to already do a, a, a difficult thing. And so, uh, for sure have those moments yeah and like you said hearing it coming from some you know somebody you love and somebody you care about yeah. uh, you know they yeah. know you it's it's almost like they shooting your 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 dream down or your opportunity down before it even yeah. happens and i know yeah how you thinking in the back of your head because it's similar to how i was thinking well it just ain't happened yet like yeah. you know don't like don't put me in a bad place in a bad head space to think like right. you know doubting myself doubting my talents like I know if I get the right break or get in the right room, like it will happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, and just going back to the doc, like there's that like kind of let down for you in it. And like, you're like, I still think I could yeah. make it like, yeah. and it's almost just like, I don't know whether you 
believe that still or knew that you needed to hear it mm-hmm. to still be okay or what, what that was. But I think I felt that a lot of days where you're just like, um, I could take that cubicle job or that sales job right, and have that security, but I won't be happy. You know, it's like mm-hmm. all wonder. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, yeah. to, it's, but it's hard like to know when you're pushing past that point and you have to kind of take those signs. It's hard. It's crazy you say that because no one never told me. My own parents, they, mm. they, you know, like we will say, like we said, it's just life. Like, yeah. did nobody tell me like, oh, when you left St. Joe's, like, oh, you're it, it gonna, you gonna be all right. Like, you can still, you can still make it. You still could be a, become a good ball player. Like, no one never yeah. had to tell me that. I had right. to really believe that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and it, it, it just goes back to what I keep telling the kids, and and I know it's just to tell them that every day because they get hit down so much. Yeah, because everyone is telling you all the reasons why you can't do something. Uh, that it's so hard to kind of push past that. But yep. um, I think just committing, you know, just committed to it, and just knew that if I was ready for that opportunity, that I would break through. Like this writer on a show where I was an assistant, like pulled me aside, and I think just out of boredom would arrange the sodas in the fridge, like all facing the same way, okay. just because I'm like. Like probably out of boredom and free right. time just at work, but just like took pride in what the kitchen, how the kitchen was stocked. And right. he's just like, man, like when you get to do what you want to do, it's going to be amazing. The fact that you take this much pride in the shittiest job mm-hmm. in, in the path that you want to go down. Um, he's like, he's like, I know you're going to do great when you get that opportunity. And so like moments like that, help balance out that other noise yeah. and so um was really lucky to also have supportive people in that circle that were um balancing out that that kind of teeter-totter of negativity with but then what are you going to do you're going to go work here and be unhappy and kind of talk mm-hmm. build you back mm-hmm. up so um that's yeah. you know surrounding yourself with positivity i think too was a huge piece for me and just people that yeah. would kind of go against that for sure because uh, you believe people, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and to be in that world, Jason, that, that film industry world is so competitive and subjective. And, yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, you, you, you know, you, you spent years in as assistant, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How the hell did you convince Mark Cherry to <laughs> give you a shot at writing? Yeah. I think it was interesting, like, because when I went there, uh, I'd been an assistant for a long time and he had, I think like two or three assistants that were already working, uh, for him and was just like, can I just field all the shit that comes from them and be mm. next to you and go to set with you and go to the edit bay, mm. be in the writer's room. And so I think, and he was someone who very much liked uh, kind of teaching or, or um, involving, like if you were interested and asked questions, he'd be willing to mm. tell you and bring you in. And so I was really lucky um, that so he was the willing sponge, to do that. Just the, yeah. the Jason being a sponge right now. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. And like, and and knew that no one was going to offer that to me. And so that's right. the other part of it. It's like willing to put in the work, but also not asking for something that's so wildly mm-hmm. outside of what you should ask for, but what's mm-hmm. reasonable. It's like, I've done this for a long time. I have the experience. Can I go do this? And mm-hmm. so when I do ask that, he's not going to offer it. But when I do ask it, it it's like, well, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I mm-hmm. think like with that approach, uh, working there it was never, um, 
kind of beating down his door asking for that script or that opportunity, mm. but was just the same version of arranging those soda cans. Did he see your hunger? Yeah, for sure. I think because he worked so hard and he he would be on set at seven watching rehearsal in the writer's room all day and then in post um, mm. afterwards. And so that um, extra credit of not having to be on set for me until um, the room started at 10 a.m. But I think just that showing up at seven every day mm. and with not having to. So it's like the, they always say like the first to get there and the last to leave a gym mm-hmm. kind of mentality, like again, with sports, like just carried that over and I knew wow. that um, if I just kept my head down and worked hard and did that extra part of it to show that I wanted to be a part of it, that that opportunity would come and uh, upper level writer um, asked to read something of mine and it mm-hmm. kind of trickled around the staff and eventually got to Mark. And he's just like, this is fucking great. Like, why didn't you hand this to me? It's like, cause I didn't want to like, like I knew once, you know, like that opportunity would come if I just kept working hard. And so I think like having that approach mm. certainly gave me that opportunity um, where again, it just made sense. It wasn't asking for something outside of the realm of what I was ready for. And mm. I knew once I got that opportunity that, it wasn't going to be outside of what I could um, live up to. Like I knew that I would probably get that shot once or twice with being on a show. And so it was just that fear. It drove me to push past the shittiness of the job to make sure I was ready for when that opportunity hit. And so when it did, it was like new because I've been in the room and done that work, what they expected of a writer that's just joining for a freelance episode. And what's expected of a lower level writer when the upper levels are talking or when they're mm. on to something, when to pull back or when to have input. And so it's like, and it is this rhythm and kind of um, music that happens in a room when writers are talking where you can disrupt it very easily mm. and, and throw it off. But I just knew what that was and what was expected. And so then was hired, I think like a month after that initial script and uh, freelance up to, up to staff. And then just, um, I've honestly, like for 22 years now, just kept that same mm-hmm. mentality of just like head down and just not get caught up in the what the show is because we have the same job. Like I go in. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. And do the same job whether you've heard of the show or not. And so it's really ego that makes me like the bigger shows more than the other ones because you've heard of it and there's clout that comes with that 
but I'm doing the same job every day. So it's like managing those highs and lows of whatever show you're on because it is really, for me, loving that process and that job rather than the shine of what a certain show gives you or um, it's just that that process, I think, is is what's what's up for me. Can you break it down for us a little bit? Are you writing just per episodes or are you writing on that a series of episodes? Yeah, so we all um, like are hired to a staff and so um, like the staff of a show will come up with story and um, and literally every show I've been on is kind of operated a little bit differently where some shows you'll all work on a script or some shows people will go off for a week or a couple of weeks and come back with a script and then the showrunner will uh, take a pass at it. Um, and so it just kind of varies every show, but essentially like you're all working um, on the same kind of storyline and what happens in the season. And then we'll be assigned an episode. And sometimes you write very little of that episode because you're group writing something someone else's or you're uh, covering set for someone else because they, you know, haven't been on set before. And so it's like, uh, or it's all yours. <laughs> and then the showrunners wait in. So it's just uh, kind of all over the place with how that process works. Um, but that's what keeps it interesting too. Yeah. Right. And, and, and speaking to that, is there at any point in time that you're working on multiple projects and how do you, and if so, how do you manage that, that time yeah. in between working on those multiple projects at one time? I think it's, uh, for me, it's, I, I, I think just the way I started in this business was sneaking in, uh, once I sign a contract for a show, I'm right away. Like, okay, <laughs> I have this, but then whenever this ends and they all end, what's next? Like, how am I setting myself up mm. to, um, get the next show? And so I'm very, uh, deliberate about the types of shows I pick kind of, if I have options, that's going to round out the, um, types of show I can be up for just to try and maximize the potential to keep going. Mm -hmm. And then we'll, when I don't want to, um, if it's, if I'm already getting off late and, the kids are down, I'll stay and work on my own material. Cause I know that mm. like, um, this show I'm on will end. And so it's constantly kind of working on my own material to, um, eventually have a show of my own, which is the goal for me, you know? so it's, uh, setting myself up to do that and being patient with it. And so it's like climbing the ladder. Now I'm a co-EP. And so I've climbed that ladder and hit all the runs and not skipped any. And so, um, I know that when I get that opportunity, just like that first script, I'll be capable and able to execute uh, the right. show because I've, I've been through it for, for this long. Now, I thought this too, Jason, like, do you have an agent that, that represents you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, there's an agent and a manager and a lawyer okay. um, that all kind of function in different ways. and. Like, like, like who would, who would be the one uh, calling for your next gig? Like when this show ends, you done with that, who will be calling and saying, Hey, I'm Jason Ganzel's uh, rep. Uh, he's a great writer. He's the shit. And he want to work on your show. Uh, maybe I should make you my agent. That sounds good. I think like, <laughs> oh, my, my agent, Doug Frank, who I've been with uh, ever since that first script mm -hmm. uh, at Desperate is phenomenal and, and really fights for, for me, but is also, um, has a family, has a nice guy, you know, so, but also mm -hmm. can get shit done. So he walks that line in a really way that I, that, that I respect. And so he's constantly on the prowl, um, 
and my managers, uh, Zadok Angel and Dave Brown are super bright guys and are constantly kind of looking for books to auction and looking for, um, like Dave Brown brought me this project by Matt Barnes and Kevin Garnett, where it's just like, I know you'd be great with this. And so I want you to talk to them about this. And so they're constantly trying to generate material, which is nice because I have the stack of projects, uh, that I've come up with that, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I don't have to burn through necessarily, right. um, but we'll be there for after, um, other things hit, hopefully that, um, will be easier to get those made, I guess, um, later on down the road. But, um, but then it helped me like be ready for quickly being able to put together these shows. Cause I put in that work on putting together pilots previous to right. them, then reaching out with projects now. And so the managers kind of have been great about facilitating those meetings with people. Um, and a lot of it's been sports. It's funny. Like, uh, the brand is just kind of over and over again. Cause uh, there's not typically a lot of, writers i think that um were previous athletes and yeah. even all the shows i've been on like talking about sports it's just like oh it's like annoyed yeah. by it and i don't know if it's like getting bumped in the hallways in high school or what it is yeah. or just haven't been around a lot of athletes but um so there's uh it's been great for an opportunity to work with people that i look up to and just like it's crazy to be able to sit down you know with matt and just the way he talks about mental health and the stuff that he would go through and then also have to step out on the court and perform in, in that capacity time after time. It's just, it's, it's really eye-opening for sure. I want to ask you this, uh, Jason, about the shows. Uh, and maybe you've been through this, maybe other writers go through this. At the close of a show, uh, is there a sense or worry about man, where the next check coming from? I mean, how far is this deal going and how do you handle that? I mean, initially it's terrifying. Like, especially my mom who was in finance, like I said, in banking was just like, so you got fired? Like, are you going to move back? Like, what are you going to do now? Like the show is over. <laughs> you know, it's just like, what are you right, doing now? Right. Cause it's hard. Like it's hard to keep a job. It's hard to get that opportunity, but in a lot of ways you're starting over again. Yeah. But, um, for me, it's just been constantly trying to be someone who shows up and just works hard, doesn't cause drama, doesn't treat people like shit, you know, just like uh -huh. is um, so that you're, you are recommended because I think it's like um, it's word of mouth. It is um, subjective. And so if you're someone that people can rely on, but also you can sit in a room with them for 12 hours as you're working mm -hmm. on a show or 10 hours, whatever the day is like, that's a big part of it. And so I think yeah. there's a lot of talented people. And again, on sports teams, like there's a lot of people that should be in the league, but right. can't be on a team. And it's just, it's not worth that additional thing. And some people are so talented that people give that exception, but ultimately it causes problems and it's a hassle. You know, it's like, and then you look at teams that are well-rounded and all kind of function together um, in the way they play, even it just works. Like those old Spurs teams, you'd watch that. It's just like, it just, everyone knew what they had to do and showed up and you just felt them play with this like effortlessness of, of just like their approach was just all team. So I think like having that mentality is certainly well. And I think you just trust that all that work 
is just moving in the same direction and you uh, create a name for yourself maybe and people do talk. And so uh, your name's kind of put out there a bit and uh, it's pretty small. It's weird. It's a small business. And so to get in and stay in um, is tough if you're difficult or if you don't perform, you know? And so I think it's just um, trusting the process. You know? Now, Jason, we know it's a performance-based business. Like you got to be yeah. a good writer. I mean, to get yeah. shit picked up and put on TV and green lighted and all that. I mean, like you said, you have to treat people nice and not cause problems. Yeah. And I've known in that world, you said it's real small, but have you seen a lot of minorities have been kind of kicked that door in? You know, because I know one of our uh, comedians here in Chicago, Dion Cole, mm -hmm. he was a writer for, uh, what's the comedian name with the with the red hair? Will, the comedian name? Carrot Top? He, he had, Carrot Top? No, not, not, not Carrot Top. He, he, had a late, he had a late night talk show, too. The real goofy one. Oh, Conan. Conan. Yeah. He, Dion Cole. He, he was. A, okay. He was a writer on that on, on that oh. show. And yeah. what we and what we what was talked about. I say at least about ten years ago. You know, they, they always said that most of the shows that come on these you know networks, big networks, there's not people that look like you know us in those rooms writing. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So have you yeah, seen an sure. increase in minorities breaking that breaking that barrier, breaking that door down? I think so. It, it's interesting. Like in 20 years, it's changed. Mm -hmm. um, Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. It's, it's kind of sad. Like when I was starting out and mm -hmm. not knowing what race I was, there were a few programs that you could mm. submit yourself for, but not knowing, I was like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not white, obviously, but like, um, <laughs> if I don't know for sure, I just had the character, I think, to not say I'm that and take a mm. spot. I've heard of people tanning to say they're Latin mm. and wow. to get a spot. And so it's like, but I think that sifts itself out and that yep. character eventually catches up. And I think, mm -hmm. so for me, it's, um, and it's sad that I was in some ways glad that I elevated past that point where, um, through the programs that the, the, the studio will pay to round out a room with a diverse mm -hmm. hire. And so it won't come out of the show's budget. And mm -hmm. so, but being there and seeing how someone's brought in and treated yeah. there it was really sad when I started like feeling like thankful that I didn't go through that program and mm. was based on writing and not checking a box. Not I checking think like box, right. since then, um, and after desperate, uh, finding that I, I, I'm Cuban and black, like suddenly studios like, Oh, so let's start checking me, you know? And so you feel that mm -hmm. I think in that, yep. um, it's so frustrating to hear white writer friends of mine that are like, oh, so hard to be a white male in this town right now. And you think, <laughs> right? like you look at the you look at the percentages still of white writers on shows, it's like yep. 80s, 90%. I was like, and all of me just wants to be like, you mean what it's like 
for us every <laughs> right. like always you know it's zero just it's point, so it's so zero wild zero that, one. yeah like once you so it in a lot of, look in a lot of ways i feel it's really complicated because i think studios are doing their best to start mm. to diversify rooms and, and it's, mm. it's with great intention i think it's forcing a little bit people together yeah and when you get there you need to trust your team it's just like it's a team you need to trust that you're all there and so it's like this it creates this kind of like oh there for that it it, it there it creates a weird divide a little bit in yeah. some ways but for me it's like that's worth getting a more diverse room to get people into the business to start to change it because it's mm. been slow for sure. And yeah. it's been so slow and to hear people act like it's this wave of change and being whites mm -hmm. over. It's like, no, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're doing fine. Right, like, right. It's just right. now you're seeing how competitive it is for you previously on shows where there's say a, a staff of 10 and there's seven people not color and then i walk in and fill black or or cuban you know it's like right okay you now we stop roles. looking for that we stop <laughs> right, looking for right, that it's like right. what do you stop looking for that like so it, it's just it's crazy to think to hear them say that when there's no cap on them being brought into rooms or there's no number that you hit and then start looking back to your mm -hmm. friends and so it, it's it's really complicated i think it's it's definitely getting better and i yeah. think <clears throat> it's reflected in the types of shows that are on that feel like a, a wider experience and i think that's that's why you know the the queen of the south is so cool because it feels like you're drawn into that world but still yeah. it's like a cartel show hitting all the stereotypes and it's done yeah. so well and the writing's so good and the cast is yeah. unbelievable but also, what does it look like when it's not a cartel? The Matt Barnes project is a NBA uh, phenom who grew up in South Central and like has everything to lose. And we've yeah. seen that movie, that show, that Boys in the Hood, and they all um, dress that way. But the writer on it, um, CJ Mack, is a guy who grew up in it, and like, mm. like they don't fucking wear that shit. Like they're they own the hotels that the basketball players are staying at, and they are in mm. suits, and they're at Riviera Country Club fucking swinging yeah. the clubs yeah. with your agent and like but that it's evolved and so for me it's always taking those kind of premises that matt came and that's all about mental health and yeah he's been so open and honest about it and we've worked with the head of the nba's mental health uh department and worked for hours just making sure that we get it right because it's yeah. this opportunity to not show just a world that we recognize and people yeah. that look like us but that are honest about what they're going through and i think that's what was so impactful about what you guys did and honestly just is such a part of what i try and do it's like i related to you yeah and knew it's, nothing it, about what it was like growing up in chicago like man, it's so crazy you know? I, yeah I, it's so crazy now how social media plays a role in people personal lives you know, even, you know, Matt Barnes, the stuff he went through with his with his ex-wife and Derek yeah. Fisher and that whole thing, that shit played out on the, yeah. you know, <laughs> through, through social media. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how could that not affect him mentally? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? On a daily fucking basis. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, and I'm guilty that, that was just too. crazy to deal with. 
Yeah. And, and I'm guilty of like what I thought he would be like meeting him mm-hmm. based on that. And, wow. it was, you know, like had an impression of what he would be like watching him mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. and the way yeah. he played. You're like, I know who that dude is. And you sit with him so fucking intellectual and so witty and smart and like thoughtful and mm-hmm. vulnerable in a way. It was, it was really shocking. You know, it, it's hard. Like we all want these different things, but we also bring that to the table too of our bias yeah. and our whatever, you know, and I definitely brought that. And so I'm, I'm definitely guilty of all those things that I'm looking for change in, but it's just, um, it's so cool that people like him are willing to be honest and open for that change, I think. And yeah. so I've been really lucky did, to kind of, yeah. Did you know, did you know how crazy Kevin Garnett was before you saw his documentary? No, I mean, kind of, I mean, he's so like, the way, I've never seen anyone play with that. Just like pure authentic yeah. rage is the wrong, wrong word, but just like <laughs> competitiveness him and, and just yeah. like, him and Samuel, him and Samuel Jackson is the king of all cuss words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he had to be. He was like the first high school. It's like I'm a high school kid. Like I got to show you that I'm just as much of a man. And, and like yeah, I would have to imagine to different. Yeah, he yeah. had to be different. But I imagine he yeah. went home some nights and was like, "Fuck!" I just listen. I knew like, he was different, and I didn't yeah. even we well we was playing in the same gym. Like he came and worked out, but. We wasn't there the day that Kevin McHale and all the, the Zeke them and all them. We wasn't there that day. Yeah. But when he said that he he talked to Pat Rowdy, the fuck he talking about? What? Why he here? Well, I'm finna show this motherfucker why he here. Yeah. That's when I knew he was yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just like to win, like it's that like this like Pat Riley you talking about, dude? Like what do you mean? Like why the fuck he here? Like you a high school yeah. kid? You don't mean shit to him. Watch, I'm for the make of me. I'm for the make right. Like, I'm like, wow. It's yeah, just wired different. Like, different. that Jordan doc, too. It's like, everyone's like, no, I didn't like playing with him. But, like, we won Did championships. You? Right, like, right. He brought, he made me way better than I would have been without him there. It wasn't fun, but it's not supposed right. to be fun. If you, <laughs> you know, it's like if you're dedicated to it, it's like you, the fun. We'll the know champagne about him. and the goggles are on, you know. We'll play with MJ. He know about him. Oh, Even in pickup. Oh, yeah. I play with yeah. both of them, but that's that's a whole different yeah. another story. But let me oh let me God. let me ask you this, Jason, man. Yeah, and this is just a little shift. There's been this massive industry shift from traditional network to cable mm-hmm. to premium cable to streaming channels. Um, can you talk about their programming styles and and how they differ in the terms of how it affects you as a writer and a producer? I think it's created so many more opportunities for space and real estate to have the safety of doing the types of content that's been done Mm -hmm. before and executives know work and now they have those that are doing it and now maybe are opening up um, the opportunities for different types of stories from different people that have not traditionally gotten those opportunities and so I think it's providing um, I think certainly people of color like an opportunity to tell more stories than just that tight knit group of network where before, if you didn't staff in the spring, you were just off till next spring. Mm-hmm. And cause there was like the pilot season and you hope your pilot would go, you hope you get mm-hmm. on a pilot 
or you hope your show will be asked back next year. And so um, what it's done is created so much opportunity um, for writers to throughout the year be available and open if you're not working on a show um, for a streamer that's jumping up in the fall versus, you know, so it's like created this kind of year round thing of opportunity, which has been great. Um, Mm. So it cuts down on the orders. I think the uh, desperate housewives and grays, those old model of, of doing, you know, and they still exist here and there, but the, the 22 episode of season, big shows and big budget and all that stuff. Um, yeah. You, you feel that shift certainly um, uh, it, doing 10 or doing 13. Um, but then it's, it's fun. It like keeps you fresh and keeps you, um, you tell 10 and you tell 13 and, and that's it. So it's not that kind of constantly spinning plates trying to get to the end of the season, but you're compacting stories. So it's, uh, I think maybe a little more compelling, but um I just, uh, I think the answer that would be that it's providing space to mm-hmm. allow um, diverse groups that haven't had a voice previous an opportunity yep. and a willingness to extend that out a little bit, which is exciting. It's just like, you know, it's like, um, it feels like a cool time and it feels like I, I feel for that white male writer who's having a harder time than ever because mm-hmm. it is harder than it's been in the past. Like, I get that. Yeah. Certainly. And I see friends that are struggling. It's like, it, it's harder than it used to be for you. But um, maybe that leveling out is allowing us to create content that we right. all can acknowledge is the world we're living in, and start to understand each other better. I feel like it's such a cool opportunity to be in the business that allows people to start a conversation. Because yeah. um, we're so locked in these algorithms of what we believe. And the people yeah. we surround ourselves with that to have a different thought than your little circle is really tough to do. Um, so it's, it's exciting for me. Like I, I feel like it's like this cool opportunity to start conversa- conversations. that's outside the algorithm of your feed or whatever, or, or who you're talking to. Um, so it's a cool time that, uh, to, to be in it. I think for sure. Let me, let me take this a little bit deeper too. Um, because I know we 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 taken up your time, and I promise you, no, we're gonna, I love, we're gonna, like I said, we're I get you through this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there's been so much experimenting in the the delivery of content. I, I want to ask you about like the platforms, like Quibi, uh, who was focusing on episodes of ten minutes or less uh, mm-hmm. for their listeners. And, and interesting enough, they raised like one point seven five billion in yeah. twenty nineteen, and backed by the big networks and cable companies, and then they launched it and. 2020 and essentially mm-hmm. shut down, but they sold it for a hundred million in yeah. January, mm-hmm. 2021. Can you tell us about that and what, what happened? I think it just shows what we probably already know is that people are craving stories of people that look like them. Mm-hmm. And I can grow up watching Dukes of Hazard and the fall guy. But I don't know mm-hmm. a fuck about what it's like being a white right. dude with a fucking car that talks <laughs> like, you know, and so to watch a show of someone that looks like me, it's just like, oh, shit, I can tap into this in a different way. It's like it means more. It's not just entertainment. It's like this is the world I'm living in and it's informing my life as opposed to just being this entertainment. So I think like we're 
seeing the value of that, whether it's a 10 minute spot or whether it's a streaming that drops 13 episodes and I'm fucking up all night watching succession, uh, one after another, cause you just crave like, it's just like, this is different. And so I think it, um, it's really cool to be able to have access to stuff like that in that more people are having the opportunity to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I personally like the, the little 10 minute, uh, deals probably because I'm I'm impatient right now at this point. I know that's life. the thing too. It's like the 140 <laughs> characters. Right. Are, it's like I don't have time. Like uh, so maybe that's part of it too. We're just like so impatient for what we want when we want it that maybe that's you know, I like to think that if it's compelling enough that maybe people are still willing to sit down for something. And I think you see it when it is and it's just like a thing that you can get on a subway and 80% of the people on it have watched it. And then mm-hmm. it's like, you're on to something. I think it's like, uh, I, I understand the value of a specific experience being depicted in TV, where it's like, if you're from Chicago and Southside, like, you know, mm-hmm. this, and it's authentic to you watching it. But like, for me, it's just trying to make 80% of the subway that you didn't have to grow up there to feel that. And, and that was so feel like so compelling about The Wire and so compelling about some of the shows you talked about. Like Sopranos, I don't know the fuck about the mafia, but like, but at the heart of that, it's family. It's it's like yeah. this, lovable, this lovable guy kind of on the inside, but has to do despicable things and succession, right, right. same kind of thing. Where it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like the human nature versus the backdrop. Because I have a very right. dumbed down version of TV, and maybe they teach you in film school not to think this way. But to me, if characters are compelling, they could be in Reno, they could be in Chicago, they could be doctors, yeah. lawyers, that's just wardrobe. But mm-hmm. if you put yeah. four people together and the dynamic is this, it doesn't matter what race they are, it doesn't matter. And that's what I think, like, growing up watching the Cosby show, it's like, oh, there's some people that look like me. And, oh, but actually they're dealing with the same kind of family issues that I can understand um, that's relatable to, to the masses. So It's yeah. so interesting that you say that because when I go to the gym and I'm working out, man, there's always this little old lady in front of me. She's on the machine, but she always had blackish on. And I'm just like, what? Yeah. I'm like this little yeah. old white lady is watching yeah. blackish, you know? Right. <laughs> She that. always got blackish show. Watching a TV <laughs> show, you know, little old white That's lady, great. but she's watching yeah. blackish, and I just go like, yeah. wow. But but it's absolutely what you were talking about. It's it's it's, honest, it's yeah. It's the it's the it's the it's the compelling stories in it, you yeah. know. They, but yet telling their messages at the same time. But yeah, uh, I think that's when people we, hear it too. Different people like, I think she's willing to buy in on this is a family show. Mm-hmm. And then it's this great opportunity to draw someone in that wouldn't watch that show. And it's not about the black experience, but along the way, it's like, I know we said it's about family and you can relate to that, but also here's what it's like being a black family in the world we live in. And then she's listening. And so I think like, as I'm given projects and trying to come up with projects, it's sifting through that this is the anthem of that experience. It's like, no, I want to do about mental health and an athlete that's dealing with that. 
that has a black experience. And then so I feel like you're then able to get in that whole that that old lady's head as she's on that treadmill and, and like she's like, oh fuck, I, I look at the world different. Like yeah. um and I understand it different. And it wasn't forced on me and it's not this agenda. And yeah. they're not like and they're it's like shut up and dribble mm-hmm. type reaction. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh shit. Like and so to me that's like um I think maybe catching up on not having any of that experience growing up and, and understanding race in those ways yeah. feels like this huge kind of weight on me now um, to catch up to it a little bit with um, using that platform a little bit to, to help me understand it too. Like I'm, I'm like uh, a work in progress too. And I think we all are, you know? Yeah. Every day we are. But, I think, yeah. I think these three shows is still happening in real life today. Good times, <laughs> Roseanne, and the Cosby Show. Yeah, for real, them three shows yeah. is still happening I know. today in real I life. You talking about my house is all Brady Bunch? No, I'm just <laughs> 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 yeah. But man, speaking of shows, man, we we want to dig into some of your current projects, man. Talk to us about. Naomi and, and Soul and Fury with Debbie Allen and Terrence Howard, man. What what what's going on there? Uh well the Debbie Allen and Terrence Howard project was uh this tremendously talented writer. Um uh Theo was had this show that had like five episodes done mm-hmm. and was asked to supervise the show and the pilot. And you hear that and you're like, okay, this is gonna be a lot of work. Like um, mm. someone who hasn't been before, but this guy Theo is a fucking monster and just uh, grew up in Chicago and, and is a student of this, uh, the history and culture and, uh, knew of this hotel in Vegas and, um, has connections with Joe Lewis who, uh, opened the Moulin Rouge, uh, mm-hmm. black home casino in Vegas during, um, and so Sammy would be performing across town and like, couldn't drink after the show. And Frank would be like, fuck that. And Frank like stood up for a lot of shit at the time where it was really tough standing up to it. But he was like, then let's go there. And so the Moulin Rouge kind of became this hub for musicians and actors and dancers and culture um, Mm. where that segregation a little bit, you could just step in there and exist just based on what we're talking about. It's not about race. It's about music. It's about Mm. being an athlete. It's about what you bring to that table outside of what you look like and so it was a really special kind of place that was open six months and then mysteriously like uh shut down so you know at a time when the mob ran vegas like um Mm -hmm. but for us just to like to carry forward that idea of a place that could exist in that hate and chaos but to the old lady on the treadmill it's also an opportunity to reflect a show in the 50s that we're still talking Mm -hmm. about the same shit today but it's not a show about black lives matter because she's not watching that like but it's a show about music and hope of making it but you're realizing as you're watching it's like that's the same shit that that they're out there asking for and now demanding more and it's been going on since then and so i think it's like it uh, everything i'm trying to like work on and do has that approach which is the opportunity to say something 
that's going to get to someone who doesn't already think that and give them pause. Um, but to still be doing blackish where it's a show about family show about love, but also let's also let you know what it's like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and the, and what we're kind of going through. So that's really appealing to me. Um, and Debbie Allen's just like the best person on earth. She's just like, I'm sure. I'm sure. She's oh, the best, man. Just like fights for fame. everyone that needs to be fought for. And just if you're ever feeling tired, like at Grey's, I'd be exhausted being on set for hours. And she come in and she's dressed up. It's like, where are you going? She's like, oh, I had, a, had this benefit after this. And you're just like, how the fuck? Like, I'm dead at the <laughs> end of the, to a benefit? Like, long Damn. week. And she's off to like some benefit and raise money and some charity. And just as like um, that grind and that hustle is so inspiring. And so I've been really lucky to be around people like that. that kind of fuel yeah. that. Um, but yeah, she's, she's amazing. I love Debbie Allen. I remember I was so yeah. shocked when I found out her and Felicia Rashad was sisters. <laughs> yeah. And when she was on fame, I was like, I want to teach it like her. <laughs> I think we all did. <laughs> I, I want to teach it like her. I never miss class. That's right. I think we all did. Yeah, we didn't see too many teachers like that growing up. Yeah. We didn't see that. And, and I think like, and the other stuff that I have, um, two of them are um, a little bit crossover in, in content, but uh, yeah. the one with um, I'm Carmelo Anthony and Peter Dinklage is, uh, and you guys would know, uh, Finley Prep was a school in Vegas that's mm-hmm. now shut down, yeah. but was this like super unique uh, program that was 14 or 12 kids at Finley prep mm. that were on the basketball team. And that was the school. And they like rented and used space at an elementary school and classrooms and all lived with the coach in house. And so it was like wow. this, like competing against Oak Hill and IMG and all these like, crazy kind of juggernauts but had this uh different approach and recruited worldwide and so you get Mm -hmm. athletes from all over the world so it's such a uh interesting friday night lights um family drama not about sports but about people from all walks of life coming together for a common goal and what you sacrifice leaving your families for a better future or um like in in that pressure and you guys lived it more than anyone, but like that pressure that's on you, knowing the sacrifices your family's making by sending you. And if you don't come home with it, what does that mean? And, and what, right. what does that mean for your family? It's just um, the things that these kids are giving up now are on the level that you guys kind of went through, um, but then are also giving these opportunities to be discovered and found. Um and kind will, of will they nurture. will this show or, or or talk about the the kids that came bef- before the school closed like yeah, so, they prep yeah because yeah it's had, gone yeah they was around i mean they would they yeah. had been a a well-respected program for some huge. years huge they were, like, they were they were they were they were the program yeah. yeah and um number one draft picks and, and mm-hmm. just the the success rate of high school to NBA yeah. players was better than Oak Hill. You know, it's just like all these like established places and quickly became that over, you know, and just were well they funded. They were Kentucky and, before yeah. Kentucky. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> mm. 
Um, wow. And maybe it's a reason I've able, been able to keep working, but maybe it'll be the end of my career, but I'm still have Baracko uh, bean burrito and hard taco mentality. I love yeah, it. That's right. And it's probably yeah, going right. to fuck me over at some point, but like, I've seen that show. You mm. know what that is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so for me, and I think having daughters and feeling the impact of Kobe, who made a lot of mistakes and was thought of a certain way and was felt like on this redemption path and exposing the WNBA and really pushing that initiative and and forward that like I've seen that guy show I've seen what like you guys started that in 94 and we've been doing that show and we've seen the impact of the dream team and what that did bringing Dirk bringing Djokovic and like we've done all that and so for me it's like I don't I want to depict like what's possible i guess instead of what we already are living in in some ways i think that was a lot of what grays did and the impact that you can have and so i feel like there's these girls around the country at their local high school just balling out because no one around them is competitive and there are avenues for them like there's there's img and so these places are starting up but what does women's hoops look like if those eighth grade girls are given the same opportunity that we've been giving guys for 20 years. Like, what does that league look like? And so, um, you know, went back to them and said, like, I know you guys love the banners and what this show represents. And so my approach was it's in Finley was like played hoop in Vegas and owned like every car dealership and uh, started this school for the boys program. But what does it look like when that coach is now without a Finley prep school and is working at a car dealership and is missing that, that feeling of the sound of a buzzer and the squeak and that sound of a net hitting that you guys hear. I know. Uh, and, and like me, it's just something that's like, that's my favorite music. Cause that sound of the ball going through a net, you know? And so like, yeah, let me, let me, let me tell you why that show is going to be so good because the, to the viewer, they only know what they read on the internet. Yeah. The, and and the way this is going to be shot and be told and from the truth and from the mouths of the players, of the people who was there. Yeah. They go, oh. It's going to be really interesting. And, and just, very interesting. Yeah. And pushing my, like, thing that I'm interested about with different cultures and race all being kind of jammed together that each episode will kind of focus on one of the girls mm-hmm. and they'll start to understand each other. Uh, in different ways and they're from all places of the world and so uh, you're taking the stereotypes that we have the way I thought Matt Barnes was going to be sitting down with them and blows that out of the window with who they really are and what they really bring to the table so uh, that's been really kind of a thing that I'm really excited about in terms of just it's a thing that doesn't really exist and so we've reached out to like Candace Parker to be a part of it like Mm-hmm. just to hear what she went through. I want to talk to Cheryl Swoops and like uh, Cheryl Miller and just like these juggernauts way ahead of their time, but the avenues and lanes that they had and to watch your brother Reggie have these opportunities and commercials and all this stuff. Um, 
it's just it, it's really interesting to me. I like when you say when you say like, you know, we've seen that story, like yeah. that story, like, and it goes back to what William said: the hoop dreams never stops, like it never yeah. ends, like yeah. it hasn't ended with us. Yeah. His three sons picked it up and, and moved on with it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, my kid, yeah. f- my 14-year-old kid has it now. Candace Parker just won her hoop dream here in Chicago. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it does not stop. It yeah. just is a it's just a different, a different starring role mm-hmm. for that, for that and, individual. And the great thing about yeah. that is we get to hear other people tell that story. That's what's so fascinating, man. I love that's right. what I love about what you're doing. Because yeah. actually I was yeah. even you kind of answered my question that I was going to already ask you about, like what what other things you would like to tackle in the industry, and you, you man, yeah. you've already shared that with us. But I wanted to add to that: Do you see yourself uh, doing movies if the opportunity came along? Yeah, um, I've, I've done one before. Uh, uh, showrunner that I worked for had the rights to um, the world's first hacker. <laughs> kind of basically uh, and wrote this like bestseller and kind of gave and gave us the rights. And so, and, and there was something so satisfying about telling a story that has an ending. Uh, yeah. Cause for me there, if it has an ending, the show's over. And yeah, so right. it's like, we don't get that. <laughs> um, and so there's something very appealing about it. But um, for me, like, and I don't know if it's sports, but I like the day to day. I like the, valuing what actors bring i like what costume brings i like what um the director brings and so i think like that day-to-day process i've really kind of fallen in love for that i feel like maybe would be a little bit lost in doing Mm -hmm. features where i just hand it over and then they go kind of make it and so i I think it would depend on how it's set up and, and done but there's definitely something appealing about knowing you can tell a story that has a natural kind of conclusion because it's rare that we get to uh, arc it out that way and have the ending that we want to tell, you know? Um, But yeah. Hey, Jason, talk to us about that scandal Grey's Anatomy lady. Shonda. That I won't do. (laughs) (laughs) There's a couple. I was like, which thing are you talking about? Look, I had to tell uh, you, don't don't tell nobody else, though. A scandal was my show. I had to watch Scandal. I had to I see what's like, up, what the I president mean, was doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and them and that whole crew, I loved that. But the she she's groundbreaking in what she came into the to the TV industry and did. Can can you yeah. just speak to her her greatness and what she what how she's opened doors for for all minorities, yeah. men and women? I mean, it's interesting because even being at Gray's, you know, the amount of contact I had with her wasn't a ton but like but she does walk into a room and like you feel it <laughs> like there, really? there's a presence and a thing that feels to me like it has to be so loud because she's been told so much um mm. that she's not a thing you know and, and so wow i don't know if that's what it is but that, like that was my impression of her that it's just like this is the story as I want to tell it. And you can't tell me it's wrong because it's my story Mm -hmm. type approach. And um, it's been interesting working kind of in the wake of Shonda in terms of being behind kind of shows that she's set up and working with people that work with her in that capacity. And so it's hard to speak on 
her necessarily, but her influence and just opening almost just doors for others like her that look like her. It's like, oh, there's stories there and there's worlds there that we haven't explored. And so it's, it's just changed the industry, I think, and it's provided room for others to follow and for Tyler Perry and Ava DeVernay, like um, Ava's doing Naomi, which I'm on now. And it's just, um, you see what that's done for the industry. And so um, it's really impactful and it's, it's interesting. Her approach to race Mm -hmm. is is a little bit where we differ and I don't know which one's right because they're both to me compelling. Like she paints a world where you can be the head of a hospital and be mm. a black female and it's not the story because mm. why mm. should it be which is mm. amazing yep yeah, you right you hit it right on the head but, Ooh, that's her that's her but i know that that journey to get to the head of the hospital as a black woman is a story yeah. Yeah. and is a struggle and the value of showing that to a high school girl who's deciding what she wants to be. It's like, Mm -hmm. let's not maybe pretend that it's just that easy, but if we don't talk about it, you'll get used to it. So it's like this weird balance. Like, and she just does it so well and has created proof of concept so many times over and over again, that there's so much value. And obviously what she's doing, but I'm, I'm, I think just as a writer interested in exploring that, um, that journey more, um, and pushing for what the world can maybe look like that. It's not so much a story either, you know, um, it's complicated. Yeah. You think about it, it uh, the Olivia Pope character, Carrie Washington played. Oh God. Dude, every black mama in the inner mm. city, that's Olivia Pope. She yeah. putting out fires. Right. Right. She got to she got to go down to the to the jail to go bail her son out to whoop him on his way back to the crib. She got to tell the the, the daughter, hey, don't hang, don't hang around that fast girl, the crowd and all that. You got, you know, she's the Olivia. Olivia Pope is all black mamas. What was her famous line? Every time we know, every time we know her mama say that, I will handle it. That's so weird. Like, I feel like Shonda's like, so smart about like making it authentic mm-hmm. without making it be the story of the black experience. Yeah. Like it, it, it's such a, like I said, it's such a tricky line to walk, to get that old lady on the treadmill, but to have every woman in Chicago be like, that's her, you know? Yep. And, and that's yep. someone I know. And so she's, she's just like so proven at mastering that line. Uh, and being able to walk it and um, do both things, you know, which is so hard to do. Well, Jason, I want to tell you this, man. You, uh, man, we applaud you because the things that you're doing, the representation, man, that you stand for, you know, we know it's difficult being in Hollywood. I mean, we, we yeah. it, it, it is what it is. So we yeah. applaud you, man. We want to thank you for being on the show. We got two more questions for you. I got yeah. one for you. Then my dog gonna hit you with his final oh. question. Uh, I meant to ask you this earlier because we want to make sure people know that the, the athlete is still in you. What <laughs> was your nickname when you were younger? 
like derogatory term. No, like, like hey, whatever it was, whatever it was, <laughs> no, we'll take it. Whatever it was, we'll take it. Um, trying to, like, like my dad called me champ. And so champ, like, was like a thing younger. Mm. And then, um, I don't know if I had, I don't think I was good enough to have like a skit to my little nickname. Like, I don't think I like was at that level <laughs> to get the nickname level. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, they ain't even, um, they ain't even, a, they ain't even abbreviate and just say, hey, right. Jay, good pass, Jay. Oh, Jay yeah, Jay for sure. Like, I, I mean, I got fucked with a little bit at like, uh, in college, um, just being other and didn't know what I was. Mm. And so like, and we had like a big like race divide on that team uh, mm. my sophomore year where like the captain was a white dude and the best player hands down was black dude freshman and just like a hoop mm. and it came that came to a head and mm. so um like the thing that i was told the most is like you one of us and it was like at the time <laughs> i was like there's more of y'all so yeah yeah and so that's like a kind of common thing and it was just pulled into it you know and it's like it's so like um amazing to be or feel outside of a culture mm -hmm. and there is it's and i'm fucking it up by what it is but the nod or as i say you know mm -hmm. or, or that pulling you in is that yep. sense of community that without even knowing it um, was happening all along, which is um, mm -hmm. really impactful and, and uh, resonates. But yeah, so I don't know that Trey was one. Like, so I, I was just like a shooter. I was just like a, we go, we like, go, like we my just game go, was like, we gonna call Trey you JG, like, man. Yeah. JG, we oh, gonna call you one. JG. Yeah, JG one is one for sure. But I was like a, a streaky, like, um, point guard but sit in the corner and catch and shoot um, okay. guy that could hit eight in a row and then miss 20 type dude like a oh. type like like i wasn't breaking anyone down off a of dribble like i would get fucked up in like street like outside of a gym where it's like a little windy or like <laughs> you gotta go to the hoop like no jg jg too plain because you because you was if you say you could hit eight from the corner now we gonna go with that you was good so right, because you're a good yeah, writer <laughs> you're a good writer and it was a good basketball player you're gonna be called jay good i like it that's I like right it. jay good <laughs> i like that that's it is that's right good at writing hit, good at basketball that's what you're hitting it. eight in the corner and you can't hoop you that's right <laughs> <laughs> that, that don't happen <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, like my man said, man, just the last question, man. Yeah. What's the next chapter in Jason Gansel's hoop dream? Cashing in, not financially, but but by giving the opportunity to create a show and have a show um, that's not putting in work for someone else. Mm. And that that 20 years has been worth the opportunity to do that, I guess. And so... Mm -hmm. It's hoping that I can cash that work in to yeah. get that opportunity is that next kind of mountain I'm hoping to climb. And um, and then once there, if I get that opportunity to kind of do what Sean has done and do what Ava's done is just like become um, a place where people are 
bringing content and writers are coming in to a production company and creating content and shows that we haven't seen before, even though it's the same premise that we've heard before. And so that's, I think, the next step for me, um, if I'm wishing on something, yeah. I can tell you this, my man, if you can keep that same Barocco attitude, it will happen. <laughs> I love that, Because the, the Barocco, the Barocco attitude got you to where you're at right now, and you're thriving. Yeah. So you keep that same Barocco attitude, you're going to have, you're going to cash in, baby. I got to pull a shack right now, man. You got to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> the Morocco. That's right. Oh, man. Man, well, I have to say before we jump off, just appreciate. Uh, I know I can't imagine what your journey was, and to be the first of something yeah. is always the hardest. And yes. so I just appreciate the ups and downs that you guys must have been through and, and the kind of impact that you've had on so many people on that old woman on the treadmill type shit where you guys lived something and went through it. But um, it was so honest and, and sincere that it just transcended race and, and city and uh, really appreciate you guys. And that influence certainly impacted uh, my path and stuff that compels me and, and things I'm interested in for sure. So appreciate that. I'm the gold of my era. I've been a trending topic. I'm as fly as a feather. My pocket's macroscopic. See, with time, I get better. I'm always in the action, kid. Know I got it locked from Chicago where the toughest live. Concrete jungle, earn my stripes on the pavement there. You make it here, then you can make it anywhere. No comparison. Your game is embarrassing. No one can touch me. I'm all for going there again. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates I'm hoop dreamin', tryna fight against a sealed fate More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha A.G. I'm box office and one day they gon' have to pay me Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates I'm hoop dreamin', tryna fight against a sealed fate More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha A.G. I'm box office and one day they gon' have to pay me Hoop Dreams the Podcast, an Unlearning Network production Written and produced by Arthur Agee, Will Gates, Matt Hoffer, with audio engineering from Matt Savage. For more episodes, check us out at www.unlearningnetwork.com. Gotta be a dog to survive in this cold weather. Ice in my veins, no need for a warm sweater. I'm coming forward, all best believe I won't let up, yeah. Hey, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee I'm box office and one day they gon' have to pay me Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates I'm hoop dreamin', tryna fight against a sealed fate More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee I'm box office and one day they gon' have to pay me Yeah.